Hello, it's Friday the 14th of July. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I've forgotten my passwords to everything, Lady Hallett. <laughs> Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review where we go behind the front page and read between the lines to find the truth, the lies, the mess-ups and the fess-ups of the UK press. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Public sector pay shambles. Teachers likely to accept government pay offer, but doctors will refuse. Delhi Ali tells all. England football star describes traumatic childhood and recent sleeping pill addiction. And the Daily Star reveals its favourite insect. We'll give you the buzz on this termite tale. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to join me in stalking the lobbies of power, searching for a glimpse of a rishi, it's the critics' parliamentary sketchwriter, Robert Hutton. Hello, Rob. Hello. And making his paper cuts debut, it's another Where's Rishier, the Guardian's parliamentary sketchwriter, John Crace. Hello. Double sketchy trouble. So, what have we got on the front pages today? Rob, what do you have? The I, the I. Um, I never know. Uh, goes for uh, pay rises for one million UK workers as Number Ten tries to end strikes. That's the pay rises. The Times has also going for uh, that. Sunak gives NHS strike doctors six percent final offer. It says final in quotes. There. There's another story there as well, isn't there? Just on the right hand side that we quite like. There is a lovely story there that we quite <laughs> like, which is that Boris Johnson. <laughs> which is that Boris Johnson can't recall COVID phone passcode. Who would have guessed? (laughs) (laughs) If only there had been some clue that he would like this. Yes. Um, And we have another um, headline from The Guardian, which is very similar, right? Yes. NHS unions fury after PM insists pay offer is final. Yes. Which a lovely picture of Florence Pugh. Great picture of Florence Pugh, uh, one out, all out. Uh, who's gone on strike. Yes, true. Uh, John, what do you have? Uh, I've got the Daily Mail, which is uh, maintains the theme of the strikes and the pay rise. Will doctors now end their callous strikes? We, are, we really hate doctors, don't we? <laughs> Who doesn't hate doctors? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, what have they ever done for us? Yeah. And um, what else have you got? And I've got the mirror, um, slightly, uh, slightly different take, pay relief, but cuts pain um yeah so that's rather implying that um public services are going to be cut to pay for the pay rises yes and i've also got the star two bees or not two bees this is the climate change story, but they obviously can't make it a climate change story because star readers don't like to read about climate change. This is how bees are failing to pollinate flowers and we're going to have to send around people with paintbrushes, apparently, <laughs> to go around pollinating flowers. Well, that's, we're going to need an awful lot of immigrants to do that, I thought. Rob, we did mention this on the front of the Times. There's this headline about Boris Johnson um, saying he can't give the COVID inquiry his WhatsApp messages, even though he really, really wants really to, wants to. Really, 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 wants, really to, wants to, because he can't recall his phone passcode. The thing that people have got to remember is that Boris Johnson has more experience of telling people why he can't show them what's on his phone than anyone else alive. <laughs> I, darling, I, I just, my fingers have stopped working. <laughs> it's, uh, oh no, I've dropped it in the Thames. It, it, 
Maybe he does. Maybe he is does. Is it maybe, believable? Maybe, maybe it is. It is also scarily plausible that Boris Johnson, because this is the um, this is what I think of as the pop bitch phone. This yes. is the phone that he'd been using for for ages, but he had fifteen to stop, years. Uh, he had to stop using it after it turned out that his his phone number had been on the internet all of that time, and pop bitch revealed this, and the security services said, "Now you have to give it to us." Yeah, pop bitch being a fantastic gossip uh, uh, online newspaper. Yes. Yeah. So um, they pointed out that the number was online, so they were like, "Oh, oh, okay, we can't use mm. this phone anymore." So he should know. The passcode, surely, if you had it for 15 years. Oh, but it's quite easy to forget after 15 years. Yes. <laughs> I, I think we're being unduly harsh to him. I mean, have they tried 1234? <laughs> um, could it, it, it obviously, a lot of people use a child's birth date. I mean, that gets it down Don't to send... 20. <laughs> I, 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 no, yeah. well, apparently it's a, also it's a, it's a special it's a special ultra secure Downing Street phone. It locks you out. You don't get so many tries. So you can't just take the SIM card out and put it in another phone, or, which or, most people would do. Yeah, it, it, it's and and for some reason I don't quite understand why his WhatsApps can't be accessed the way that everyone else accesses their WhatsApps. Yeah, but um, you know, because you can move WhatsApps when you move. Yeah, well, the, or whatever. But, the yeah. FT do have a sort of upbeat ending to all this, though. They're reporting that the government realised that they were dealing with an idiot in Boris, and <laughs> they got one of the government officials to write down the password to it uh, to the phone, and they stuck it in a drawer somewhere, and the drawer has turned up. So literally, it's in one of those drawers with all the bits of like you know you dis- disused parts of computers, all those kind of things. your yeah. passport. They're yeah. going to find it somewhere. Cobra briefing minutes. That kind <laughs> of thing. <laughs> Now, most of the headlines today cover the government agreeing to what it calls significant and also final pay rises for public sector workers, all around 6%. Teaching unions have said they will call off strikes and advise their members to accept 6.5%, but the British Medical Association has said that the offer to their members of 6% was not credible and have warned of further industrial action, in fact, starting like kind of now. Doctors want an increase of around 35% saying that this would take payback to 2008 levels in real terms, but Sunak is saying no. So, John, what's the likelihood of dear Rishi Sunak backing down in the face of the doctors continuing to strike, do you think? I think it'll be hard for him because, you know, he literally stood up yesterday and said this was my final offer. Though, as we know, only a few weeks ago, Rishi Sunak was saying that anything more than 3.5% was unaffordable and inflationary. And yet he appears to have found three or four billion quid down the back of the sofa and whatever. Though, I mean, you know, I think the BMA will be pointing to the fact that the Scottish doctors settled for about 13%. Um, That's still a lot more than 6%. So, I mean, they're kind yeah. of saying this is this is you're offering six percent. This is paltry. We we absolutely reject it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's still a below inflation pay rise. So people are effectively taking a pay Make rise up. that makes them worse off, <laughs> yeah. um, which isn't a sort of great look. And where's the money coming from? Because basically Jer- Jeremy Hunt has said he won't give departments any more money to pay for the pay rises. So how have the teachers got over that problem? 
I mean, some of the pay rises are due to be paid for by foreigners. Oh, apparently. yes. This is, the, this this is, is the Express, isn't it? Yeah, this is the Express and also the Daily Telegraph line. Yeah. I'm going is... to read the Express headline. The Express has the mad headline, fees paid by migrants will fund pay rises, which to me sounds like, OK, we need more migrants. No, in order to fund these pay rises. But, yes. It sounds like the Express are going, great, everyone come in. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, let's have, let's have about 10 million migrants and we can all take the next year off. I mean, it's actually about they're going to charge migrants more for visas and increase the immigration health surcharge. There's something you have to pay if for certain types of immigrants have to pay if they want to use the NAD. The, the, the NHS, the, yeah. exactly. So it's like the, um, the, the, the like if you're a foreigner and you want to use the NHS at the moment, it's six hundred twenty four quid, and it's going to be a thousand pounds, which is yeah. a lot, a lot. I have to say. So this is all um, raising about one billion pounds, apparently, but they still need some more. Yeah, and Sunak has his, had this line yesterday that oh well, what we'll do is we'll go through the accounts sort of line by line, and we'll we'll find money. I don't know if you know if if any of if any of our listeners have encountered. A hospital or a school or a library or any part of the public sector in the past five years. You tell me where the fat is. Well, I mean, maybe they could partly find it from Michael Gove because (laughs) um, it was reported. I I think The Guardian, in fact, reported it uh, the day before yesterday that he has had to give one point nine billion pounds back to the Treasury because he hasn't been able to find any houses to build. Oh, exactly. Well, there you go. It's all sorted. It's all sorted. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Michael. Pay rises on Michael. It's just no one's got anywhere to live. In the end, it's always easier to borrow another billion quid than it is to sort of to close a hospital or a school. Yeah. Let me. Yeah, I mean, it's not for, not all for of me. Us. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I also think that I mean, what uh, another uh, area where he said he was going to get it from was from just sort of general savings. But I mean, I mean, A, Rob's pointed out there probably aren't any savings to be made. And B, that savings are just a one-year hit and the pay rises are in perpetuity. So he's got to say where the money's coming from in year two, three, year four. After the election. Yeah, exactly. After the election. <laughs> he doesn't care after He doesn't that. care because he's not going to be here. Now, strikes, camera, action. Hollywood film and TV actors are joining screenwriters on the picket lines for the first simultaneous actors and writers strike in over 60 years. Talks between unions. Have we heard this before? Talks between unions (laughs) (laughs) and companies have broken down and the deadline for a deal passed at midnight on Thursday. So this meant that the Oppenheimer premiere had to open an hour earlier so that the actors could walk the black carpet. It's not red because it's... Oppenheimer, and then leave. Then they didn't do a Q&A afterwards. They just left. Um, Rob, what is the strike about? About, well, it's about money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but specifically, it's about, well, the writers have been on strike for a while saying they don't get a fair shake of all the cash. There's all of this cash, apparently, sort of going to somebody for Netflix money and, and Disney Plus money and all this, but it's not going to any of the writers who write these shows. They say they're very badly paid. And in fact, you can write a, a hit show for Netflix and really not feel very much richer. Now the actors have joined in, and a lot of it's about odd things like what are called residuals. When your when your show is played out again as a as an it's like actor, repeats, a repeats, yeah, mm. you get you get a little check, and it's a really tiny little check. And I mean, it, 
The thing is partly that, that there was a there was a model for all of this that worked with sort of terrestrial broadcasting that everybody liked. And then streaming came along and one of the successes of the streaming business model is that it doesn't pay anyone anything. You may think, you know, that you're paying a lot for Netflix and this kind of thing, but it's not clear who's getting that money. It's like Spotify, isn't it? So you, you kind yeah. of sign up and you think, oh, this is great. I'm paying all the, the creators, but actually it's going to the companies that kind of... Yeah, and, 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 and so there's a nice story here in the mail. Netflix blockbuster whose stars get just £15 a year royalties. And this is Orange is the New Black, big hit show. Uh, people, you know, actors on that who have irrecognisable parts whose royalty checks are laughably small. I mean, not laughably. Yeah. One of them saying here that it actually cost her money to appear on it. That's uh, so mad, isn't it? And, yeah. the, and the actors are also worried about AI, right? So they're worried that, I mean... I mean, I mean, I don't know. If you're aging, actor, perhaps you're not worried about AI. But the <laughs> idea is that that you that they, they can use the old you to create more films. Maybe even after you've died. So, so know. I don't know if anyone's seen the new Indiana Jones film, but the first ten minutes of it is young Harrison Ford. Yeah, and it's really it's it's. I mean, youngish Harrison Ford. He's 14, that's all right. Yeah. Youngish will do me. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, 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 he's it's it's scary how good it is. Yeah, and. I did sit there watching it thinking, well, you could just do this. You could make, yeah. you could just keep making Indiana Jones in World War II films, which is the best bit. And uh, and who owns your image? You know, do do do, do Lucasfilm own, own Harrison Ford's sort of Indiana Jones image? Does Harrison Ford own Harrison Ford's image? I mean, Harrison Ford is going to be fine. I yeah, think. it's actually about, I mean, also if you're a kind of extra, it's a bit difficult. So, you know, yeah. like, there's lots of people who just, who like being extras. I have a friend who just signs up and is in loads of kind of, loads of BBC productions and ITV productions just in the background. Um, but it's kind of bad news for them because, of you know, they can be scanned once and then kind of put mm. in, you know, to, you know, a crowd yeah. forevermore. And they, they definitely won't get residuals for that. I mean, the result is quite interesting, really, because at the moment, live comedy night, night type shows like SNL and The Tonight Show are already off air. So they're running reruns. Then there's delays to f- certain films. Certain films have been pushed back. Two Star Wars films. I mean, I mean, a weep if you want to. Two, two mm-hmm. Star Wars films and Avatar 3. Oh, boo-hoo. I mean, just, just, just keep the strike going. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're, they're pushing back um, Avengers The Kang Dynasty by a year. Avengers Secret War also go back. Plus Blade and Thunderbolts. I mean, you know, I mean, there are certain people, none of us, the producer who is like, in bits about this. I mean, we're, we're mm. okay. But, I mean, there are other things. You know, yellow Jackets, Severance and Stranger Things have Yeah, I'm a bit upset about Severance and Stranger Things. Because of the, yeah. the writer's strike. But also, kind of more, perhaps more importantly, how are cinemas going to survive? We're all very excited about Barbie and Oppenheimer. I think they've done a great kind of pre-PR, you know, kind of excitement campaign. So everybody mm. wants to go and see it. But after that, I mean... There's nothing really. Yeah, there won't British, be British, British cinemas were actually doing really, really well. In 2019, was about their best year in decades. They and then they had the pandemic, and that was a nightmare for them. And uh, and over the pandemic, lots of lots of streaming people just started streaming stuff much sooner. The Flash movie, for instance, which is in cinemas two weeks yeah. ago, is coming out streaming very shortly. Partly because it's, it's partly partly because it's it's. it's it's not yeah. a hit. No, but but um, so they've they've just lost all of these bits of revenue, and they need these big what they call sort of tentpole films that are what hold hold the rest of the the cinema up. And 
there just haven't been that many Mission Impossible. I mean, this this year is supposed to be the year. I think a lot of them are thinking, well, they get back on their feet. They've got Mission Impossible. They've got Arby. They've got Oppenheimer. They've got Indiana Jones. But yeah, no, the last thing they need is to be choked of of product again. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's going to be we're going to get little UK films coming through. You know, like cute ones about I don't know dogs or or or, or you know <laughs> un- unhappy children or you yeah. know small sitcom type things. Yeah, yeah I mean. We- no, I mean, Britain does specialise in those kind of things, really. I mean, I'm, I'm taken by the AI stuff because, I mean, we're going to have we could have a British film, a British Spider-Man film where this bloke actually has to walk up the side of a building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, you've got to do it, mate. You've Sorry. got to do it. Sorry. It's just... <laughs> Get on with it. Although Tom Holland, I have to say, he probably could do it. I mean, maybe it would be poetic, you know, if it's the last ever big movie weekend was... Barbenheimer. I mean, we all go out for that, and then that's it. It kind of dies. The, the, I mean, the, the odd thing about being being a being British and looking at some of these demands is it's it's slightly like whenever you're a British journalist and you look at what American journalists are complaining about, and you go, "I would give my eye teeth to have your working conditions yeah. that you think are unacceptable at the New York Times." You know, they make you write a story every fortnight, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it's slightly the sort of the, the, it's got to be six writers on every show. Oh yeah, I can go. Do you want some of the deets? The details yeah. are right. Okay, the details are they want six writers per show and for a minimum thirteen weeks per show. So no sacking in the middle of it because you're no good or whatever. And um, writers have been offered seventy six percent. Um, increase in foreign residuals although I have to say that sounds like they were paid absolutely naff all beforehand mm. um, but the really brilliant demand that I love living with an actor this makes me laugh mm. so sometimes what used to happen is you go for an audition and you'd walk into a room and do the audition and now they just ask you to do it on your iPhone right so it's it's inconvenient it's embarrassing mm. it's not it's not great but you have to do it the American the, the American uh, actors want payment for at home auditions as if <laughs> This is not going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe this is a moment where Britain just undercuts. You know, we <laughs> we we already we've got a thriving cinema industry, and we've got, frankly, desperate creatives who will work for coffee. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe we we should write Severance and Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> Now, here at Paper Cuts, headlines are our happy place. If they're snappy, silly and saucy, if they pun and they're fun, then we love them. What do we have today? John, what do you have? I've got two from the sun. The first is a page three story about farmers apparently feeding daffodils to their cows to make them fart less. Apparently, so, And that will obviously save the planet from methane poisoning. Um, I mean, I don't know if we're going to start feeding sort of humans with daffodils as well. But the the headline is Moo Smell Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, Love yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, the second one is of a hundred. Apparently, there's hundred year old men who still want to have sex. <laughs> I think that's a fairly small demographic for myself. <laughs> But for those, for, for for them, uh, there is help in hand because they are being given uh, double doses of Viagra. The headline is "Big Rise in Old Chaps." <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Okay, what have you got, Rob? Right. So I am in the Star. 
Elon Musk, all-round genius man who never fails at anything, <laughs> um, is uh, planning to enter the UK energy market. And, oh, gosh, we're all going to die. Um, <laughs> the headline is, just call me Elon Musk. Oh, no, that's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Right. yeah. And uh, this is my this is my favourite. Uh, children's TV presenter uh, Yvette Fielding says she can't wait to die because she knows there is life after death. And the headline is, "Ooh, Peter." Oh. <laughs> That's definitely the winner. Don't forget, we want you to give us your amazing headlines. Check our social media for the hashtag fix the headline and there will be a great story with it with a slightly rubbish headline. If you can tweet or threads as a better one, you could win a Paper Cuts t-shirt. Can we have a whoop? Woo! Peter! Now, all over the press today, on the front and the back pages, are quotes and stories from England and Everton player Delhi Ali's amazing interview with Gary Neville on Neville's podcast, The Overlap. Ali, in this podcast, talks about his tough childhood in Milton Keynes, how his mum was an alcoholic, he was sexually abused at age six, he started dealing drugs aged eight, and was hung over a balcony by an adult aged 11. Um, his life changed for the better when he was 12 and he moved in and was adopted um, by his friends, Harry's family. But his terrible childhood difficulties played out in various ways when he was an adult, as we can possibly, if we go back over his career, we can see. And he ended up uh, addicted to sleeping pills. He went into rehab about this and came out very recently. Now we're all up to speed. Um, John, this is a, a kind of astonishing story, isn't it? Um, yes, but probably not quite as surprising as it sounds, because those of us, I mean, I, I've got a de declaration of interest. I love Deli Ali. I love I'm a Spurs supporter. I loved him when he was at Spurs. He gave me enormous pleasure. I warmed him. I was sad when his career seemed to sort of nosedive and I couldn't and couldn't really understand what was going wrong with him because this was a a player who I mean everyone was citing as the next best thing you yeah know, he, he was, was amazing he was you know in the England squad in his early 20s and looked set to be a sort of someone to build a squad around really for the next sort of 10 years and then suddenly you know he's being he fails at Everton. He's sort of hived off to Turkey, and he he's banned from hanging around with the to you know the Turkish team main uh, first team squad because he was deemed to be a bad influence. And I couldn't really understand it, but now it all seems to kind of make sense. Yeah, you know, I think he was. Uh, when Maurizio Pochettino, uh, oh, the was, Spurs manager, yeah. um, you know, his first Spurs, Spurs manager was there, I think Maurizio had a way of managing him and making him feel loved. And so, you know, the demons weren't really there. And I think when uh, Jose Mourinho took over, suddenly... You know, he didn't feel loved. He was lost. Yeah, and, and Mourinho called him lazy as well. Yeah, which exactly, really which is outrageous. Yeah, and, and why has Deli Ali told this story now? Well, we 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 think it's because the tabloids. I mean, this is sort well, of he really, said it's because yeah, of the tabloids. Yeah, actually. I mean, it's really shabby. The tabloids had got wind of the fact that he was in rehab, and were trying to sort of break the story of him while he was in there. And yeah. really, he should. 
I mean, as someone who has been in rehab themselves, I mean, I'm my my own, you know, impressions of judging on myself is that your brain is scrambled for years afterwards, and that you need a lot of time to make sense of it. So I think you know, De- Deli Ali has done a brave thing um, by coming out, but it's also to try and preserve you know, self-preservation, sort of control the narrative, if you like. Yeah. But I think it would have everyone would have been best served by leaving him alone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Rob, what do you think of the story? You're not a kind of sports fan. You I, don't really care about football. I no. mean, we know you love cricket, but you don't really care about football. But this is a, it's a big sports story that has made its way into kind of, in inverted commas, normal news, isn't hmm. it? I mean, I, so reading reading him talking about it is obviously... Very affecting. And yes, clearly he has been, clearly he says he has been pushed to do this because because the papers had got wind of it and they were phoning up. And I mean, I was thinking about my own days as a young tabloid hack a long time ago, earlier in the week in relation to other things. And there is this thing where you just become obsessed with, you get some whisper and you just become obsessed with getting the story and you're convinced everyone else is about to get the story. Maybe they were in this case, you know, and the only thing that matters, you just think, I've, I've got to get this. And you just lose sight of the human. And I've certainly, you know, I've, I've, I've done doorsteps that I now regret. And I don't judge other reporters for doing this because I know what it's like and the pressure that you're under. But that's a culture but, thing we're talking about, isn't yeah. it, really? You're talking about a culture of tabloids and the, t- the culture of tabloids, as we have discovered through the Hugh Edwards story, or we knew already, is actually breaking the story. This is a story that has got public interest, they say, and so we, that's, yeah. we have to break it. And I personally can actually see the argument around certain, you know, pr- if presenters are... Um, perhaps in a position of power and abusing it, I can see the, the the point of perhaps breaking that story. I don't really see the point of breaking a story of someone coming out of rehab. I just don't. But anyway, I have to say, well done, Deli Ali. I liked you before. I like you even more now. Now, the star has a confession to make. <laughs> And it's on its front page. Two bees or not two bees? UK running out of Daily Star's favourite insect, which is obviously the bee. Climate climate change is blamed for bumble trouble, which I do like, bumble trouble. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Rob, this is yet another jokey uh, Daily Star headline, which we always appreciate on this programme. But it's actually the star is tackling a serious story in its own special way, isn't it? Yes, it's climate change. I mean, this is a, the, the bees, the what is going to happen to the bees is a sort of, is a long-term worry for farmers and horticulturalists and... And everyone. We everyone, like bees. We like, yeah, no, who doesn't like bees? That's <laughs> yeah. wasps. I don't like wasps. <laughs> um, the, the star is just going through a, a sort of a golden age. I have moment. to say, it's in mm. its pomp, isn't it? Really. Uh, and one of the things about this is... That problem. The problem with a story like climate change is climate change is scary and boring and long I, and long. You know, and it and it and it and it's incremental. And I, I'm not saying it's not important, but it's it's a hard thing to do in a fun paper. Um, <laughs> and uh, and actually, this is a way of doing a. A, a climate change fun. story. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it used to be, you know, few water scorcher. Her great, everything's yeah. going up. That's absolutely fantastic. We'll all get tans in our back gardens or whatever yeah. in the park. And it's not that now. Yeah, it's it's hotter in London than it is in sort of 
Costa Blanca. Yeah, exactly. And you used to be able to, you know, you'd yeah. see people, you know, in inverted commas, you know, fry, it never really happened, but frying eggs on tarmac. That was yeah. the mm. that, that was the kind of deal. But I do think that the kind of climate change method, climate change is bad message has mm. got through. And that's why the tabloids have changed. Although I have to say other papers are slightly different. So the Telegraph has today what to pack for a holiday in a 45 degree heat wave. And you're like, maybe that's, I mean, I get you do fashion, but it's slightly missing the point. <laughs> I mean, that's just really odd. And the Express has suggested, I love this about the Express. They're like, don't go anywhere foreign. Don't be mad. You'll meet foreigners. <laughs> and it's really hot. So like, have a staycation. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's all treated in its own particular way. The Guardian, obviously, we love the Guardian. It bangs up about crime change every day, quite correctly, but it is slightly yeah. scary, <laughs> I have to say. I mean, if other papers had favourite insects, what do we think they would be? I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the star has decided on bees. What would we have? Talking about the Guardian, sort of a shrill whining noise just <laughs> on the edge of hearing, sucking the joy out of everything. <laughs> Uh, can I can it's, I just register my objection? <laughs> so it's a, it's would... a mosquito, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, John. I love I love you. Love love my guardian friends. What, about, what do you think, John? Um, I I would like to go for the Telegraph actually, yeah. and I I kind of think of something that sort of hides away for years on end, and then suddenly appears and. You find out it's ruined your life and it's the clothes moth. Yeah, very true. I, th- I would say the sun is a like a like that wasp that turns up your picnic <laughs> or maybe a dung beetle. And the, Do you have the any comment? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And then the Times, I was trying, we were trying to think about the Times. The Times obviously has some, something that looks quite smart, but is quite scary, and that is a thunder beetle. Yeah. We discovered the thunder the beetle. Thunder, thunderer beetle, the, yeah. in fact. The, the, the beetle of record. <laughs> <laughs> There's just time for the daft part of the papers, the middle sections, the bit that takes the news and scandal of the front pages and turns it into a frothy 500 word piece on what to pack for a holiday in 45 degree heatwave or where to buy Carrie Johnson's frilly bedside lamp. Both of those pieces are actually in the Telegraph today, by the way. (laughs) John, what do you have? Um, My favourite is basically just a picture. Uh, it's it's a half page in the Telegraph and it's a quarter page in the Times and it's a picture of a grand reunion of a whole load of golden retrievers. <laughs> now, I mean, I, I, I would be quite happy to buy the Daily Dog, which would be <laughs> a, a paper that consisted just of dog Aww. pictures. Um, yeah, it's uh, that would make They're me all feel, so happy. They, they all look so happy. But, I mean, the curious thing about this picture is that it's literally got hundreds of golden retrievers all in a sort of uh, huddle together um, and no sign of their owners. And I don't know how many of them actually went home to the right place. They are a bit dim, aren't because they? Because A, they're yeah. a bit dim. And people, if you, you know, if you start shouting, here, boy, at the end, <laughs> half of them will come running. They won't mind, though. They'll just be happy. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I literally, I, I have to say this because the producer is just 
Like written this down, Labradorable. Oh. <laughs> okay, I have a less art uh, story, which I'm going to tell you really quickly because I know you need to know. This is from the Telegraph. Okay, the properly posh would never clink their glasses and say cheers. Just so you know, Sophia Money Coots is here to tell us that doing such a thing is completely appalling. So if you get your glass of wine or whatever you're going to drink, and you look at everybody in your group and go cheers or eyes, eyes, eyes or whatever, this is according to her. And apparently the rest of her family, a TBC or a tiny bit common. Oh, Oh. my God. (laughs) What you're meant to do is raise your glass slightly and mumble good health. (laughs) Before taking a sip. Anyway, we're all very happily TBC around here. (laughs) And that's the end of today's paper cuts. Thanks to Rob and thanks to John. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Papercuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and an utterly common, extremely enthusiastic cheers, 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 eyes, eyes, eyes review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Papercuts Show. Mm. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget, fix the headline. Follow our Twitter and threads for this week's story with a rubbish headline that you can improve and you might win a fabulous exclusive T-shirt. I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when a gorilla at Toronto Zoo has been banned from using mobile phones because it's affecting his relationship with his family. (laughs) (laughs) Just like us. See you next time. (laughs) Papercuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with John Crace and Rob Hutton. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh with audio production by me, Alex Reese, and assistant production by Adam Wright. Designed by James Parrott, Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. Cheers! <laughs>